Good morning. This is this is our look into 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And the question here for this chapter is what happens when someone in your team or your family or someone under your authority is questioning your credentials? Because this is what's going on in Corinthians 9. Like some members of the Corinthian church had questioned Paul's authority and his right to lead. And Paul isn't someone that brags about himself. But because the unity of the church body in Corinth is at risk from all these different angles and from people who are starting to pop up with authority and are using their intelligence to divide the believers into clusters and factions, Paul is going to defend himself. And it's not for his benefit. It's for the church's benefit. And that's a key thing for, for leadership. It's not, the leader won't, he's not just defending himself for himself. He's defending himself for the team. So in verse 2 he says, you are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. Now he had taught that church. He had kind of been their spiritual mentor. They had learned from him and seen in him the example of a Christian, the example of Jesus. So take a minute, read verses 3 to 6. And Paul is challenging the church to really understand and open their eyes to what has been happening. He said, you know, although he should be able to live with other church members and share their meals and bring the family along, as he says, like Peter does. So this is not like he's not asking for special treatment. He doesn't. And he asks in verse 6, is it just me and Barnabas who have to work to support ourselves? Now, he is not suggesting that people who teach and lead in a, in a Christian capacity should not have to work additionally to support themselves. Because as we know, Paul did do that. He did. He didn't want to be a burden to anyone. He absolutely went and worked for himself. Um, but he's saying, look, look at the other apostles who had received hospitality and had received a share in the homes and the food of the church. And he has to use this to challenge the Corinthians who are trying to discredit him. Not all the Corinthians. Some of those Christians in that church would have been like, no, Paul is fantastic. He's our leader. We really like him. But the ones who are trying to discredit him, he's saying, look, look at how I have been serving. And he shows that he's given up those rights that are fair in order to continue to serve the church. He shouldn't have to work extra while teaching, but he did. And those are his credentials. That is his legitimacy. Have a look at verse 11 to 12. Since we planted the spiritual seed, are we not entitled to physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we never use this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. So like, our teachers and preachers, assuming that they are actually you know, good teachers and preachers and they're humble, deserve to be supported, <laughs> yes, by the churches that they teach. And this is not something to be flagrantly used and abused to make riches. This is not, I'm a great teacher and preacher, I need to be made rich off of your backs. There's nothing like that. In the example of Paul, a teacher that does not use this right so that they are not an obstacle should be sought after and supported by our homes and our food and our money. That is the hallmark of a legitimately humble Christian teacher. And if we have Christian teachers who turn up and they are always asking for money and they're always trying to get you to give them something, just be a little bit, oh, just be a little bit wary 
Um, and Paul gives a challenging perspective for preachers and teachers in verse 17. He says, if I was doing this teaching on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But as it is, I have no choice because God has given me this sacred trust. If teaching the church was his own idea and he'd come up with it all by himself and he'd masterminded the plan, then yeah, that's his work. That's something he's created. He probably should be paid for it. Good for him. But he says he hasn't, but he, he didn't decide to do this. He was on the road to Damascus and God showed himself to Paul and Paul from that moment had no choice. He couldn't just go, eh, I can leave it later. His heart had to preach the gospel. And that's why he's not saying, look, you need to pay me. You need to pay me right now. He's like, no, no, if if not taking the payment, if not being a burden gets these people to know God more, that is what I have to do. And this challenge goes for any of us Christians in any Christian work capacity. So if we look at worship leading or being the preacher or being a Christian author or something like that, and we just see it, we go, oh, that would be a great career path for me. I reckon I can do that well. Then, yeah, we probably could be paid to do it, but we possibly shouldn't be doing it. But if we know that God has legitimately called us and we like, we have no choice, we cannot not be a, a teacher or a leader or, or whatever it is. If we have no choice, then that's something to look into. But remember, Paul's example is that the payment you are going to receive, those of us who have no choice, the payment you are going to receive might not be money. It might be the opportunity to preach the good news without being a burden to anybody. And hopefully the church that you're part of will support you so that you're not destitute. But Paul's example is that even if they don't, even if they don't support him, even if they don't give him food, he has no choice. He has to keep proclaiming the good news. So in verse 19, Paul says to the church that I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. And... Today we don't really have so much of this because our nation has institutions in place to give our leaders salary and it's no, um, but it's no less a huge challenge to take the responsibility of leadership in the church with the utmost seriousness. And that's whether you're the leader at the top or whether you're a leader of a tiny small group, whether you're the leader of one person who comes in needing discipleship, you need to be taking that really seriously. So read verses 19 to 23 and just just have a little think. What stands out to you about Paul's example? And how can we behave similarly around, the, around our friends and family and neighbours? So Paul here, he isn't saying that when he hangs around with Jewish people, he completely reverts back to how he was when he was Jewish. Or that when he's around pagan people, he suddenly starts worshipping their gods. He's not saying that. He's saying that he respects the Jewish customs and won't disrespect them and flout them. And that he doesn't demand them when he is around non-Jewish people. So for, for me, if we went to dinner with a Muslim family, it would be disrespectful to bring certain food and drink. I wouldn't do that. If we go to dinner with a non-believing family, it would be ridiculous to suddenly turn up demanding Christian values on their household. And Paul doesn't 
compromise the love of Christ or the good works of the kingdom, but he respects the culture he is in without betraying Jesus. And like we spoke about in the previous chapter, Paul also shares in the weaknesses of others, finding common ground with everyone to bring Christ to everyone. The church is the living feet of Christ when it is filled with the Spirit and spreading his kingdom. And a lot of people are wary of Christians because of their perceived judgmental attitudes towards others who don't share faith. So when we are with non-believers, how do we see Christ behaving? Does he judge? Or does he find common ground and share in their lives and enjoy food with them and laugh with them and cry with them? It's very clear reading the Gospels that though Jesus teaches and does challenge both Jewish people and Gentile people, he doesn't go around harshly judging people, but showing them love and value. And this is what Paul is modelling when he says, finding common ground. So, as we close this up, how can we model that to our neighbours and friends and family who don't know Jesus? How can we be that great example to them?